As Chris mentioned yesterday, a few of us um, went away for the day uh, to hear about the Holy Spirit as part of our Alpha course that we've been running. Um, and we learned who he is, what he does, and how you can be filled with the Holy Spirit or continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this passage today, we're hearing about what Jesus has to say about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does and what he will do. He's still giving his final instructions here and reassurances to his disciples. And it's a process that he started back in chapter 13 when he, if you remember, told them to look after each other after washing their feet, to love each other sacrificially. In chapter 14, he told them he was going to prepare a place for them, that he would send someone to be alongside them, which is the first hint that he gives us about the Holy Spirit. In chapter 15, Jesus said, that he was their vine, the vine, the life source that they were to live from, and he urged them to remain in him, in his love. Last week, we heard him say that as they remain in him and they'll come to identify with him, they can expect to be treated the same way that he was treated. So those who persecuted Jesus would persecute them, those who loved Jesus would love them. So I'm going to work through today's passage, it might be easier for you if you have it in front of you, as uh, Lily told us, it's on page 876 in your church Bibles, and I'm starting in verse 26, at the end of chapter 15, when Jesus speaks again about this person that he's going to send, or this one he's going to send, and he says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So this advocate comes from the Father, just like Jesus did. And because he comes from the Father, his work and his testimony will align with what the disciples have heard and seen and experienced in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus. He will point to Jesus, not to himself, not to anyone else. This is a handy test, by the way, for any claims that you might hear about things that the Holy Spirit is meant to do. If the Holy Spirit doesn't point to Jesus or affirm Jesus or glorify Jesus, it is not the Holy Spirit. Moving into chapter 16, getting my tongue tied today, sorry. Chapter, Chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus explains why he's telling them these things. It's because he doesn't want them to fall away. He's returning to the theme of staying in the vine, remaining connected to him. He loves them. He's come to save them. He wants them to stay strong and to have their eyes open about what's coming. And so he describes the kind of persecution they can expect. Now, being put out of the synagogue is not quite the same as being barred from church, if you can imagine such a thing. The synagogue in first century Israel was the center of Jewish life. You did business there, you socialized there, you worshiped there. It was like the town hall, the market. It was the hub of the community. To be thrown out of the synagogue was to face social death. You might remember the parents of the blind man back in chapter 9 of John. They were challenged by the religious leaders because Jesus had healed their son on the Sabbath. But these parents were so concerned about losing their place in synagogue, they would rather dodge the question and deflect it back to their son than risk the ire of the priests and get thrown out. And persecution could be much worse, Jesus says, than being thrown out of the synagogue. They could even be killed by their fellow Jews who might think that they're doing it in service of God himself. But it wouldn't be out of malice, it would be out of ignorance, Jesus says. 
not motivated by hatred, but actually by love of God. Sometimes people do bad things for what they think are good reasons, out of ignorance. They don't know what they don't know. Pious religious Jews would attack them, like Saul of Tarsus. Saul, who became Paul, the great apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, started out persecuting the church. Those who are enemies of the church, enemies of Christians, those who do not see the world the way that we do and come against us may be acting out of ignorance because they have not encountered God themselves. Persecuting Christians, persecuting us in whatever form that might take, may even be part of their journey towards God. In verse 4, Jesus is trying still to prepare them for what's coming next. But it's all quite confusing. It's like any advanced direction, isn't it? It's like getting directions to somewhere until you're actually on the way. They don't really make sense. It's information for them to store away for later, for them to remember what he's told them. And for them to see that however bad it gets, God knows what is ahead. That opposition is not a sign that they've wandered away from God's plan or that he is displeased with them. And it's also for us to see as we look over their shoulder, as we listen in on this conversation between Jesus and them, that when we're in bad times, we can also remember that however bad it gets, God knows what's ahead of us. And opposition is not a sign that we have wandered from God's plan or that he is displeased with us. Later in the chapter, to steal from Chris for next week, Jesus tells them even to expect trouble, but to take heart because he has overcome the world. Jesus is talking to very ordinary people, just like us, people who get scared and confused and don't like uncertainty. And in verses 5 and 6, we can see the humanity of these people, can't we? As Jesus says, now I'm going to him, who sent, to him who sent me, but none of you asks me, where am I going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. These are just normal, everyday people who have given up everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus recognizes their pain, their grief. He is compassionate. He understands. And their grief is a mark of their love for him, isn't it? This is not just a story for them. This is their lives. This is the one that they've given everything up to follow. But he doesn't allow them to stay in that place of grief. He repeats the strange statement he made back in chapter 14, that it's good that he's going away, that they will do greater things because of that, that somehow the Holy Spirit is better for them in the phase that's to come. You see, when Jesus was on the earth, for all that he was fully divine and fully human, he was only able to be in one place at one time, limited in time and space, just like us. It's part of the wonder of the incarnation that Jesus reduced himself to the confines of a physical body. It's part of the wonder of the gospel that Jesus knows what it is to be human. But the growth of the church after the resurrection came through the work of the Holy Spirit in every single believer that went out from Jerusalem 
and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it makes perfect sense for Jesus to say what he does in verse 7, even if it sounds a bit nuts to the disciples at the time. He says, Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, a note for any of you who might be interested in some church history at this point. This is one of the verses that caused a bit of a flutter, to put it mildly. In the fourth century, at the Council of Nicaea, the Eastern Church objected to the idea that the Holy Spirit was sent by the Son and the Father. That he, he proceeded to use the phrase, from the Father and the Son, and so they, they, uh, they walked off and decided not to be in communion with the, with the Western Church, and they haven't come back yet. So it's interesting that such a small verse caused so much trouble. Anyway, back to my point. Sorry, that was a little aside for his church history nerds. Jesus is saying, don't let fear take over. What is about to happen is all part of God's plan. See, the Holy Spirit was not an afterthought. It wasn't that Jesus was going away and he'd done his mission. He thought, well, who am I going to leave with the kids? No. The Holy Spirit was part of God's plan. And he has, as Jesus describes it, a threefold purpose to continue the work of Jesus through the expanding work of the disciples and the church throughout the ages. One of those jobs is to bring conviction to the world about sin, to prove the world wrong about sin, as Lily read to us earlier. We struggle to see our own sin, don't we? And we resist others pointing it out to us because we're all sinners. It's the Holy Spirit alone who can convict us of our sin, not by making us feel bad, but just by showing us the truth. We don't always live up to our own standards. We promise and we don't deliver. We fall short, we miss the mark. And we know all these things, but only God can convict us of those things. The second role is to convict the world about righteousness. Because Jesus would no longer be around as a living example, the Holy Spirit would continue to remind the disciples about Jesus' teaching. Jesus' life and death showed up how dark the world really was. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the disciples would live in growing conformity to Christ, as the theologian D.A. Carson points out. And he would, they would show what righteousness really looked like. So that's a life of loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving neighbor as self. And the third thing that the Holy Spirit was coming to do was to prove the world wrong about judgment. Because the judgment of the world is morally perverse. Again, D.A. Carson helps unpack this for us by relating it back to the fall and the work of the prince of this world, Satan, the one who was a liar from the beginning who lured us away from obedience to God and from the security of living according to God's rule. I'm sure we can all think of examples of where we see justice not being done on the earth, where money and influence trump integrity, where policies are made in the name of greed, not need. The world needs to know that there are consequences to this and that correct judgment, God's judgment, is coming. The job of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of that and to show that in Christ, God has judged sin. 
The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's a trustworthy guide. And he is in constant communication with Jesus, just as Jesus has been with the Father. And this is an idea that the disciples are used to. Jesus only speaking about what he hears from the Father. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit will only deliver what he has received from the Father. Sorry, from Jesus. We worship a triune God, three persons in one, all communicating with each other, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see them all in verse 15 of chapter 16, with the Holy Spirit revealing to those who believe in Jesus what Jesus has received from the Father. Confused? It's a bit confusing, isn't it? It's a mystery which greater minds than mine have been playing with for centuries. The Trinity is a really complex doctrine. I, would, I can only invite you with me to marvel at it like you would at a masterpiece because I don't think I could possibly explain it. But in this passage, we're hearing how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, the one who we were learning about yesterday at Alpha. The, the Holy Spirit is a he and not an it. His role is to guide us into all truth. He takes his, his content, his material if you will, is teaching from Jesus by reminding us of what Jesus has done and by glorifying him and by accompanying believers because Jesus has returned to be with the Father. The Holy Spirit will never contradict Jesus. And as we remain in the vine and are nourished by the vine, by Jesus through his word, we can also learn enough to be able to confirm that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. He was sent by Jesus and the Father to help his disciples, which is his disciples in scripture, but also his disciples here in Lindisfarne. We are, we are also his disciples. And he also has sent his Holy Spirit to us. That's Jesus' reassurance to them in the middle of these frightening words about the persecution and the challenges that are to come. But I wonder whether you spotted in Lily's reading back in verse 27 of chapter 15, the instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples. Let me just read it for you. The verse before says, oh, hold on. When the advocate, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And the next verse says, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So this is their work to testify, but it's also our work to testify. If you're sitting here as a believer today, it is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He has led you into the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has convicted you of your sin. He's teaching you how to live in right relationship with God, teaching you what righteousness is. He is the reason you're here today. He's convicted you of the coming judgment. And so our work is to testify to Jesus, just as the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus, to share what we have experienced and know from living our lives with him and for him. Our testimony is important. It bears out the work of the Holy Spirit now, thousands of years after Jesus sent him from the Father. 
Our testimony gives credence to God when we ourselves bear witness. I'm not talking about harassing people with the name of Jesus, but simply finding ways to give him credit. Thank him out loud. Live Christianly. Is that a, is that a word? Christianly. In front of other people, in front of our neighbours, our friends, our family members, our colleagues, even offering to pray for people is bearing witness to who Jesus is. Part of the richness of our fellowship here in Lindisfarne is the number of mature, long-standing believers. And I'm sure that many of you will have stories to share about ways that God has helped you through difficult times, supported you through challenges, opposition, or even just about the way that God brought you to faith. Stories about how he's shown you ways forward, reminded you of the words of Jesus when you've needed comfort or reassurance or encouragement or just been a constant source of strength and peace in your life. Never underestimate the power of testimony. Never underestimate the power of your story. It's not just something that extrovert Christians do tell their stories and give their testimonies. It's a part of our role as believers to bear witness to the reality of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit is both God and a witness to God in Jesus, just as Jesus is God and a witness to God the Father. And we have received the Holy Spirit and we are to bear witness to Jesus in our lives too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Thank you that he is with, with each of us now who know you as Lord and Saviour. Thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans, but that you sent your Holy Spirit to be with us forever. Please help us to be good witnesses to you, just as the Holy Spirit is a witness to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.